Um, I just wanted to say Merry Christmas also because it's kind of like official and there's something poetic about the fact that it snowed for the first time last night and we're jumping in. Um, some people like snow, some people hate it, so kind of mixed feelings. Um, I can understand both coming from California, but I tend to like cold weather, mildly cold weather. When it gets too cold, then I want to run and hide. Um, but we are, we're starting our Advent series this morning and I'm really excited. I'm excited about what God has for us. I'm excited about this season. I tend to have mixed feelings about seasonal type things like Christmas comes around and you all have an expectation of what I'm going to talk about, right? The kinds of songs that we're going to sing, you know, it's got to be a Christmas story because it's got to feel like Christmas, right? If it doesn't feel like Christmas, then you don't feel like it's Christmas and then you're sort of like a letdown. So I have like these mixed feelings. The rebel in me wants to come stand up here and talk nothing about Christmas. But at the same time, there's something incredibly powerful about the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, even this morning as I was just praying and, and preparing my heart for speaking to you guys, um, I was praying for your hearts and, uh, and praying that God would, would not let the theme of this season get in the way of the message of this season. Because the truth is, this, the message that I'm going to bring today and for the next three weeks, it's like as relevant in July as it is in December. Um, it's the same every single day, all year for all of our lives. And so, so my hope and prayer is that this will be a time for you that, that maybe your reflection goes a little deeper to a different place. That's what God's been doing in my heart the last couple of weeks. Um, it was a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but um, unpacking some Christmas stuff. Um, and we have, I don't know if any of you have an advent calendar. We have one of these old felt advent calendars. You know what I'm talking about? Felt with the little pockets and there's a little, there's a big Christmas tree. When I was a kid growing up, this was one of my favorite traditions, okay? There's this, this, this calendar goes on the wall. It's 1 through 25. There's a verse and then there's like a little ornament of some kind that you hang on the felt Christmas tree. Really kind of cheesy, but something about it made me excited. I think for me it was more about the countdown, right? More about the countdown. We called it our Advent calendar. Advent, the, the word Advent sort of got me thinking. And, and over the last week, week and a half, um, God's been sort of helping me process through what this word Advent means. What is it really about? I realized as I was looking at that Advent calendar that, that I like didn't really know. Like I had some loose senses and ideas about what it was. I knew it was some kind of like event or expectation. You know, waiting is surrounding the idea of Advent. But I didn't really, I was like, I don't know the definition of Advent. So I went and looked it up. Advent has a very simple meaning. It's the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The reason we call December 1st through December 25th Advent season is because over 2,000 years ago, something happened, an event, a notable event happened. And for us in like the Christian world and really American Western society, we do the Christmas thing. And so we've taken bits and pieces of the idea of Advent and we've used them kind of for our own culture. So whether, we're, whether you have gone to church your whole life or you, um, or you haven't been to church in a really, really long time, um, our world, our culture, like American Western culture, European Western, we celebrate Advent. And I think the reason that, that Advent is applicable to everybody because Advent is, is really more about the waiting than the event itself, right? The countdown. And so we love the countdown. We get excited about the countdown. The more like emphasis we can place on the countdown, the more exciting the lead up is, right? The, the, that, that day comes when you start seeing presents under the tree. That gets a little more exciting. Journey back to when you were a kid. Right? The first snow falls, for me it wasn't snow, it was like, ooh, it's raining for the first time in Southern California in eight months. But whatever it is, that countdown begins, some of you maybe like 
October because you love putting on Christmas music in October. You know who you are, right? But it began, <laughs> we got some hands going up. But it's, it's, it's because we're drawn to the idea of a countdown, of waiting, of expectancy. The power of Advent is found in the waiting, in the wondering, in the expectation. The problem is what we tend to count down really is the expression of our Christmas traditions. The people of God in the original Advent were waiting for something really, really different. They were waiting for something promised to them thousands of years ago. And in fact, when these days drew near, the waiting became um, more meaningful, more powerful, more anxiety-ridden than, than any of us have ever experienced before. If you, if you know it at all, um, there's like a 400-year gap in the Bible before Jesus was born. 400 years where, where God didn't speak. He didn't say anything to anyone. He didn't speak through the prophets. He didn't show up anywhere. He didn't do any miracles. He just seemed gone, absent, non-existent. And the people of God, they, they hung on this promise that they had heard passed down at this point from generation to generation to generation. Imagine the waiting. Imagine the, the waiting for the advent that they'd longed for. These promises weren't any small thing. The people of God ex had experienced slavery and exile, return, more slavery, more pain, wandering in the desert. All the while clinging to this promise that one day this this person would come, Advent would arrive, and he would reconcile everything. He would redeem them, restore them, make them a people after his own heart, a light, a lamp on a stand. All of these things, if you were a young Jewish boy or girl, you clung to these things. Their Advent was a little bit different than ours. It was more than 25 days. Here's the thing. I believe if we connect with, with the word Advent and what it may have meant to the people who first experienced it. I wonder if it might make the next 25 days for us, or at this point, 21, days for us a little more meaningful, a little more powerful, maybe not a little bit, but maybe life-changing forever. Because what I'm going to talk about today and over the course of the next three, three weeks, this is life-changing stuff. This isn't meant to be seasonal work. This is the life-changing power of the gospel over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into the meaning of the word ad Advent and consider the incredible realities that Advent brings to our lives. There's a bunch of them. If you're really interested in this even more, I'm going to talk about four over the next, like this week and then the next three weeks. But I'm actually doing like a 25-day blogging session. So you can look every day. I'm talking about a different gift that Advent brings to our lives. Not like tangible stuff, but things that the gospel does in our lives as a result of this waiting of this event, of this, this moment. So you can go to that and check it out. Um, it's always on Facebook, too, so you can check it out there. Um, but God gave us some, some incredible gifts through the sending of his son, Jesus, and I just want to highlight a few of them for us. And today, the first this morning, is the gift of his presence. It's where, it's where the Christmas story begins. It's really like where the power starts, right? His presence. John 1 talks about the presence of God. Um, Travis started reading it a little bit already. It says this, in the beginning... The word already existed. Jesus is the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and in his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is the beginning of the Christmas story, right? Because Jesus existed way before he came here. 
as a baby, as an infant. He was with God at the beginning. All life was brought to life through him. But then, this happens, verse 6, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell people about the light. This is where Advent began. This is where that anxiety, that, that tension, that, that expectancy was really beginning. This guy comes and he starts talking about, guess what? He's coming, get ready. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to change. You're not going to know, you're not going to expect it, but get ready. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They were reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion, but a birth that comes from God. So, verse 14, and this is the hinge verse, and I, I want you to hear this and connect with the power of this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, one and only Son. The Word, God, became human. Eugene Peterson is a guy who wrote a, a really cool, like, like modern language, understandable translation of the Bible. And he translates John 1.14 to say this, The Word became flesh and blood. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. I love the simplicity of that. We could just stop right here. We could just like really just back up. We could like bring the band back up and sing like 10 more worship songs and just stop and consider the reality that the God of the universe came into his own creation, right? Existed out of time, an uncreated existence. He made himself into a version of his own creation. The big question is why? And that's what we're really going to talk about today. But the reality that we can celebrate is that God is present in our lives, and that is incredible. That's incredible. Here's the thing, though. God has always been present. In the beginning, God, right? He has always been present. Christmas is not, then, a celebration of God's presence. Christmas is the celebration of God announcing what he intended to do with his presence. It's a paramount difference for us, for us to understand this stuff. This has everything to do with who God is and how he works out his will in this world. He didn't create us just to be pawns in his game or to watch us kind of struggle for 80 or 90 years. No, our truth this morning is bigger than just the presence of God. It's about the nearness of God. Here it is. The nearness, sorry, nearness is the nature of God's presence. God is not just here. He is he is near. Christmas is the story of a seemingly distant God drawing near to the people he created. Maybe God has seemed distant to you most of your life. Imagine having a relationship with somebody like the people of God in scripture, the Hebrew people. And then for 400 years, he goes silent. Imagine the distance that they felt. God never left. He was always there. He was always working out his plan. But the birth of Jesus is a simple it's a simple reality that this is what God intends to do with his presence on earth. He intends to be near. He, he intends to be close. He intends to mix it up with us, to be part of our lives. That's what he wants. And that's what this morning is about. Jesus came to this earth as a baby over 2,000 years ago to show you and I that he is not just present in our lives, but that 
He is, in fact, near us. He cares. He loves. He longs for us to know this. Um, the birth of Jesus was an earth-shaking shout from heaven designed to alert mankind to the nearness of their God. Um, if you have your outline, you can get it out. We're going to walk through three simple things that I think the nearness of God, the understanding of the nearness of God could actually be like transformational in our lives. Um, I want you to walk out of here this morning um, and into this first like full week of December, aware of God's nearness in your life. We talk about the word nearness. It's something so much bigger than presence, and we're going to get there. Um, so number one on your outline, if you're following along, his nearness means to us that he is personal. He's personal. This is a character of God issue, a nature of God issue. Do we understand this about him? This is, this is like the big switch that happened through the person of Jesus. Right? God has always been present, but him sending Jesus to earth to mix it up with us, to walk on on our ground, to breathe our air, or maybe it's his air, probably is his air. The reason he did that is to say to us, I don't want to just be present. I want you to know how personal I am. I long for you to know how personal I am. And here's the reality. Proximity doesn't automatically mean personal, right? You can be close to someone and still not be personal. Christmas tells us that God wants to understand us. He wants to journey with us. Through this life, and not just us, but you and me. I say us, and it sounds like this big, like, we. It's you. It's me. As an individual, he wants to be personal with you. And Christmas screams that to us. He is a personal God. Seriously, consider this for a second. He didn't come to earth for himself. He doesn't want relationship with us for his sake. He wants it for us. He wants relationship. He, doesn't, he didn't care about relationship. He, he cares that, that we understand how much he loves us. Because seriously, he has so little to gain in a relationship. What do we have to offer him? Not much. But he showed up anyway. Why? Because he wants us to know that he's near. Nearness is a basic human function of relationship. Presence is meaningless unless, unless there's nearness in a relationship. I don't really need to tell you this because you know, you're aware, you understand this. I know this from experience. As a person who works from home, I spend a lot of time like trying to like, like close out or like shut out what else is going on in the house. And my wife like understands this. She's learned this. Like when I'm like typing or into something, she knows like she could like yell, like raise the decibel for like five paragraph sentences and still wouldn't get my attention. My kids have still not learned this yet or they don't really care. So when they want something from me and I'm in the middle of something, it's like, dad, dad, dad. And it gradually gets louder and louder and louder until I, I sort of like hear it like in my subconscious. And so I start responding to them, right? Like I'm responding with like generalized facial expressions and a little bit of nodding. Every once in a while I'll even say like, oh yeah, that's funny. And they look at me like, what are, are you listening to me at all? Right? This is proximity. This is me being present in the room, but being completely non-existent. Right? Proximity doesn't mean that we're near. It doesn't make us personal. They usually run out of the room um, saying, Dad, you never listen to me. Never listen to a word that I say. We laugh about this, but this is, this is the difference. This is the difference. God doesn't want to just be there, present. He wants to be personal with you and with me. God was not content to remain present and not near. It just, it just isn't his nature. Nearness is the nature of God's presence. So he sent his son Jesus for the sake of nearness. 
to show us that he wanted to be a personal God, to share relationship, not just to, to know about us, to, but to mix it up with us. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will dine with him and he with me. The Christmas story reminds us that God is a personal God. And I love when he uses this, that language like, is there anything more personal and intimate than sharing a meal with another? Yeah, there probably is. But that's a very personal thing. That's the language that God is using, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is, this is like where we got to start. The character of God is telling us something here today. That the Christmas story is screaming to us, God is personal. I want relationship with you. You matter to me. I'll block out the whole world so I can listen to you and so that you can listen to me. Been brought near. Jesus' birth is what flipped the script on man's relationship with God. It made nearness with him possible. You are no longer far off. In Jesus, you've been brought near. And that is crazy. And I don't, like, I can't stand here and tell you that I understand that perfectly. That I know what that means and what that looks like. But for the God of the universe to decide, you know what, I'm going to, like, I'm going to jump in. They're not hearing me. They're missing me somehow. So I'm just, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to jump into their lives. I'm going to become like them so that they can get this, so that they can understand how personal I am and how much I want relationship with them, which leads to number two. Um, his, his nearness means that he's personal, but it also means that he is accessible. I started by saying proximity doesn't guarantee relationship, but proximity doesn't also mean accessibility, but it's a really important start, right? And when I talk about accessibility, uh, I'm not talking about like I can get to him, but more like, like I can understand him. I can connect with him. He makes some sense to me, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? We want an accessible God, don't we? But I think most of us, most of us have spent most of our lives feeling like, like I, don't, I just don't get it. It's weird. This, he says things that I don't understand. It seems like he values things that I don't understand. Like, I don't really know what to do. And you know what? That's because he's God. That's because he's bigger. That's because we can't possibly understand fully him. And guess what? He realizes that. And so he devised a plan. Okay, they can't understand me, and I desperately want them to know how personal I am, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself as accessible as I can possibly be. And I'm going to, like, go there and, and live among them. And I'm going to feel what they feel. I'm going to hear what they hear. One of the craziest things about the Christmas story is all the things that we can identify with. The human heart longs for an accessible God, like more than anything, I think. Maybe we believe in this God, but what about a God that is, that is so near that he actually becomes accessible to us? We can understand him. We can know him. And God sending Jesus here says to us, I want to be accessible. I want you to be able to understand me. Um, Joan Osborne wrote a song. Any 90s music fans in the room? Um, if, you don't, if you're not, like... I don't think we can still be friends, but, you know, I, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. Um, I love 90s music, in case you didn't know that. In 1995, Joan Osborne wrote this song called What If God Was One of Us. Um, it says this, if God had a name, what, what would it be? 
and would, would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Um, when this song came out in 1995, like the entire evangelical world, like they were like furious. Like how disrespectful. How could you say that? About, how could you sing a song like attempting to know, know what God is thinking? How could you compare him to us? You called God a slob. And the whole like, Christian world freaked out, boycotted this song. One problem, there's way too much truth in that song. Because God, to connect with you, to become accessible to you, became that slob that Joan Osborne was talking about. I don't understand why, but that's exactly what he did. She may have been writing that song for the purpose of disrespecting God. I don't know. Her intention might have been to blaspheme the power of God. I, I, can't, I can't vouch for that, but here is the reality. He came like that for one reason, because he wanted to know what it felt like to be human. He wanted to know what it felt like in our shoes he wanted to become accessible to you and to me in a really powerful way. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Why? Because he felt everything we feel. It is really easy to like gloss over that real quickly. God knows what goosebumps feel like. God knows what sweat smells like. He knows what being betrayed by a friend feels like. God knows the pain of losing a loved one. God knows the frustration of feeling misunderstood. God knows the heartache of loneliness. Like, connect with that for a minute. God in all his perfection chose that. If you were perfect, if your life was perfect, then I came and said to you, you know what, nobody else is perfect and really, you can't go through life like not connecting with anybody. Nobody understands you. So I want you to feel lonely. I want you to feel pain. Would you, would you say yes to that? Exchange perfection for the pain that we experience in this life. This is what God did. Why? Why? Because he wanted to live it. He wanted to walk in it. He wanted to smell it. God was, in fact, one of us. There's so much truth in that song. The only thing missing is the recognition that, that, that he actually did. It's saying, what if God was one of us? And then an intentional choice to tap in to what the nearness of God means in our lives. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We draw near to God by simply saying, you are God. I want to connect. I want to connect with you. The Christmas story screams loudly to us. I am here. I am available. I am accessible and I went to incredible lengths to show you that. Sorry about that. Now God is saying all you got to do is choose to acknowledge it and let me draw you into a relationship with myself. The nearness of God means that he is accessible. And, and I, I mean, this year, this year, if nothing else, maybe um, you would take a step deeper into understanding that. That God is, he is accessible. And I understand that a lot of times if, if you try to pick up the Bible and start reading it, you might get confused. And it might be hard. And, and part of that is because it's a book that was written so long ago. Right? I mean, you pick up any book that old and it's going to be confusing to you because it's outside of your context. God doesn't want to be confusing to you. The Christmas story is telling us that. It's, te it's telling us, I want you to understand me. I want you to connect with me. I want you to know me. 
I want you to see me for who I am. I want you to have the freedom to give, to give your life to me. I think when we understand that and connect with that at the very deepest level, we can begin to see God as something different than we ever have before. Personal. He's personal. He's relational. Right? He's accessible. And lastly, his nearness means he is relentless. We just sang a song on how he loves us, right? He's jealous for me. And we talk about the, the relentless nature of God's pursuit of us. And, and oftentimes we sing this song and, and there's some great word pictures in there, but maybe you don't feel pursued by God. The Christmas story is wanting to tell you that. It's wanting to scream it to you. And maybe you've heard it a million times. Maybe it's something that doesn't even like stir any emotions anymore. I think that that's actually kind of on purpose. I'm going to get there in a minute. Um, but the lengths that God went to to show you and I that he loves us and cares about us is absolutely phenomenal. It's amazing. And I want to read it. I want to read the story of his birth. Like this is where it happened. And, and there's a couple of things that I want you to notice. And um, everything that happened in this story, God chose to subject himself to. He didn't have to, but he did because he wanted to be near you. He wanted you to know how fierce his pursuit of you was. He was unwilling to settle for simply being present in your life. So he went to these lengths. He left heaven, and here's the story of how it happened from Luke. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral town to register for the census. And because Joseph was one, Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for, her to, for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in, in, in snuggly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us all about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart. And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. The story of Christmas tells us something profound about the presence of God in our lives. When you hear this story, I, like I don't know about you, but it all just sounds really normal. Normal. Like you want to talk about accessible, right? A young woman that's pregnant and engaged, um, going on a trip with her fiancé right, a Christmas vacation of sorts. They're journeying to a town called Bethlehem, which good luck finding that on the map. 
It's tiny. It is insignificant. It is almost irrelevant. The idea that the Savior of the world would come from Bethlehem is absolutely ridiculous. Right? There's a few things in here that aren't so normal. The angels coming into the sky and like, that's crazy, right? That's some weird stuff. A virgin giving birth to a child, that's weird. But otherwise, the story is really normal. Or, or, or maybe even like mundane. Or dare I say even boring? It's a boring story. Like, did anybody get riveted while I was reading that story? Probably not, maybe. I mean, if you, like, understand some of the underpinnings of it, maybe you did. But I think this story was written boring on purpose. Because it's just a story about regular people. And I think this says something incredibly amazing about God. This is the context that he chose to enter the world. Very normal. A silent night, a quiet night. In a barn, surrounded by animals. Like, there was no room. There was no room for him. Like, connect with that for a minute. The savior of the world, there's not a bed. You think that was an accident? No, this is why, this is how God wanted to come. This is how God wanted to come so that he could show you, one, I'm personal, I'm accessible, but I will go to any lengths to show you that I want relationship with you. That you can know me. I want you to know how much I love you and how, much I, how valuable you are in my sight and so is everyone else. How God entered the world in the person of Jesus speaks just as loudly as the fact that he came to begin with. It all says I'm here. It all says I want to draw you near. It all says you mean a lot to me. And I didn't even scrape the surface of what God set aside to take on this Skin, knees, tears, pain, hurt, suffering. Just the regular kind, emotions. The same ones we experience. There wasn't anything that he wasn't willing to do to show you. To show you that he wants to be near. And so then he said, I've been present all this time, but now I want you to know that it's different. I want you to know that, I, that I'm here, that I'm near you, so that you can have a relationship with me. I want to close with a story, and I want you to listen. You can close your eyes if you want, um, but I want you to connect with this illustration because I think this is a picture of the, the Christmas story. Um, the Christmas story is like a dinner party with a really, really ambitious host. This really ambitious host pulled out all the stops for this one. He bought the food, paid for the wine, carefully chose every detail in the decor, but the guest list, that was the most important thing of all. He spent hours agonizing over each person who would be there. He placed name tags on every table, handwritten name tags, and perfectly positioned. Each person in the room was valuable to him for different reasons, and he wanted them to experience the party uniquely on their own. So he positioned them intentionally and carefully for their own good, for their own security, for their own sense of comfort, that they might enjoy their evening unhindered, free, and in all ways, exactly how he designed them to experience it. He made party favors filled with, with things only he could give away, things only he had access to, but things that everyone at the party needed in order to ensure that he got personally connected with every one of his guests. He decided that he wanted to give the party favors away personally throughout the night. That way he would connect intimately with each guest. He wanted to look into their eyes Thank each one of them for coming with sincerity. 
His greatest fear was that someone might leave the party not knowing how excited he was that they came to begin with, or that they might leave wondering if he even knew that they were there. As the party begins and the room starts to fill up, the host is standing at one end of the room. He's looking around at what he created and he loves it. He loves watching his guests interact with one another. He loves watching them enjoy the good food and the delicious drinks. Most of all, he loves watching them enjoy, enjoy each other. The party's perfect. It's exactly what he imagined, even better. As the evening wears on, he begins to make his way around the room to really start connecting with people and handing out these party favors. He tries on occasion to jump into the conversations but people are having, that people are having to engage with his guests, to let them know that he is there and that he would love for them to know the lengths he went to make this a great evening for them. But it's loud, it's super crowded, and it seems to be really chaotic. Everyone has become very distracted. All the amazing things he has done, small talk, more to drink. More small talk, even more to drink. Throughout this evening, it just keeps getting louder, and there seems to be less and less opportunity for him to actually connect with any of his guests. He's frustrated, but still very much on a mission. My guests will know why they are here. I will make sure of it, he thinks to himself. In the latter hours of the party, things have just gotten out of control. Every last guest is hammered drunk. And by this time, no one has much of a sense of, of why they were there to begin with. Some people begin leaving, stumbling out the door. He runs and tries to catch them before they do, but it's too late. They disappear into the snowy night. He thinks to himself, are people really going to come here, eat my food, drink my wine, and leave never knowing the real purpose for the party? Not knowing that I had to offer them if they would have just acknowledged my presence? His heart breaks with every slam of the door, signifying another guest leaving in anonymity. Without the amazing gifts, he is so carefully prepared for each person. As the chaos of the, of the end begins to take over, he feels he is losing control. Like, he doesn't, like, he, like if he doesn't do something big, loud, and significant, everyone will just leave and miss out on the very purpose of the party. The more people leave, the more his sense of urgency rises, along with his blood pressure. He just wants them to know why he invited them, but they're too busy finding their coats, too drunk to be aware of his presence, and too selfish to see that there's more. The urgency of the moment finally catches up with him. And with all the emotion he can muster, the host yells out as loud as he possibly can, Wait! You've all missed something. It grows quiet. I'm here. I invited you because I wanted to get to know you. I brought you here to experience my presence, my person, my nearness, and you're all missing it. Friends, this is the Christmas story. God is and has been present in the world from the beginning. His desire was always that we might know him personally, experience him intimately. Yet we as people have grown distracted. He wanted to get our attention. He wanted to make a splash to have an impact. He wanted to change the course of history. And he would. Yet instead of yelling and making a scene, instead God chooses to enter the world, total obscurity, humility, borderline irrelevance. It was quiet and soft. It was unnoticed by most, but it paved the way for the greatest story of redemption that would ever be told. God, creator and sustainer, entered the world and it didn't make a loud noise, but it made a loud impact. God is not indifferent to your struggles. God is not waiting for you to screw up. God is not looking for his chance to smite you. God is not too busy for you. God is personal. He's accessible. God is relentlessly pursuing your heart because God is near.